This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm Norman Lau, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcasts.roddenberry.com for you to choose from. Science, feminism, even daily news. Boldly go and find us when you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcasts.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Kia ora, and welcome in to another episode of Half Measures Podcast. Each week on Half Measures, we watch a bunch of TV shows and movies and then tell you what we think of them, what we recommend, and where you can watch it. My name's Paul, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Whiting. Now, Dan, we've counted all the downloads of this podcast, and we are now projecting that you and I are safe for another four years, unless there's any legal challenges. How do you feel about that result? I think because of the type of podcast we are, Paul, we will just carry on winning regardless. We're going to win big. We're going to win big. We're going to win big. We're going to flip some of those other podcasts mm-hmm. um, because, look, any of those other metrics, I just don't. I just don't believe it. It's all fake news. Correct. Correct. What an extraordinary time to be alive. What an extraordinary election. Some of our listeners, obviously, in the United States, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have gone through that four to five day election. I imagine they probably don't even want to hear our thoughts on it because I, they've, I probably, so. they've been inundated with it for, I don't know, what the last 12, 18 months as we kind of build up to this this big day. I think we should talk about some, uh, some more fun things like TV shows and movies. Well... Let's do that, shall we? But I'm going to come in with a little bit of a caveat, Dan. Um, and that is, and I'm assuming you're asking me what have I, uh, what have I been watching? Um, the uh, the honest truth is, I've actually been watching a lot of CNN. <laughs> so literally, like the better part of four days, Dad and I watched. Just we were just transfixed by Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper, Wolf Blitzer, Abby Phillip, John King. See, Dan, I know all the names now. I know them all. And um, yeah, so actually, I don't have too much to say because we watched a lot of this stuff. In fact, we got so into it that when it was over and Biden and Kamala had done their speeches, we turned it off and then we had withdrawal symptoms and we had to put it back on because we couldn't cope not hearing the voices in the background. It was a very sad time. I have watched some other things. Besides that, most of which will be things that you have watched as well. So we'll, we'll cover those off together. Um, um, but the only other thing I was going to talk about is Star Trek Discovery, Dan. Now, I've come to the conclusion that it's getting very awkward to talk about a TV show, spoiler-free, so that it's not ruining it for you, but also being able to give something of any meaning to to, to listeners as well. So um, all I can say about uh 
this latest episode, and we are now season uh, three, episode four. Uh, this was a real, true Star Trek episode. Um, in some ways, even better than any of the others. In other ways, there's a part of me that really didn't like this episode. It's a really mixed bag at the moment. They're they're doing some really great human things. They're, they're going through some trauma. They're going. They're embracing the relationship side of things. But I don't know. Sometimes that goes too far, and then you start thinking: Are they trying to appease too many different audiences? Um, and without being too controversial, are they trying to be too PC at sometimes, too too diverse at sometimes? I don't know. But um, the season is is amazing. Um, the the Star Trek future is very is very prosperous. It's um it's an episode that defines sci-fi. It goes beyond just space and technology. It's it's more about humanity now, and the interspecies connections. And so, look, I hope the rest of the season is as good as this. But I do hope they don't drift too far into. I'm not sure how to frame it up, but just trying to be too inclusive. That's a dangerous thing to say. I know, and I hope I don't get any flack for that. But uh, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean, and I think. Um... Well, do I know? I don't know. I I think you should not hold back because I haven't caught up. You know, that's it's my own fault for not being up to play with Star Trek Discovery. So if you need to talk about some major plot points for the sake of our listeners, for the sake of uh, a quality review, then I, I, you know, you have my blessing to, to share some of those <laughs> critical moments. I appreciate that. Um, I'll, uh, I won't this week. I might come in for the next episode, but because um, I haven't, I, I didn't give it any specific thought. I guess around, and I think what I need to do, really, probably more than anything, is actually do a season review, because this is, like I said last week, it's just a long story arc, and it's really hard to describe. Sometimes those singular episodes, you know how I said it's all interweaved. Like so, to give you an idea, like the guys over at Mission Log who do week by week episode reviews of Star Trek, the original series, Star Trek, the next generation. It's a real easy thing for them to do because they have episodes that have a clearly defined story, but they themselves have already admitted on air that they don't know what they're going to do once they catch up and go through all the episodes and get to discovery and get to Picard because it becomes such an intertwined thing. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm finding that as, as well um, in terms, and especially when I'm trying to explore it free. So, um, so yeah, so I come in with a lot of apologies this week um, from, and I, I blame it on 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 COVID because of course, uh, if we if we didn't have COVID, we wouldn't have had all the mail in ballots, and if we didn't have the mail in ballots, we would we would have had a, an election result in one day. But instead, it took four days, and I sadly watched pretty much all of it. I don't know why. I don't even live in America, but I just I feel like I'm just <laughs> completely hooked into the whole election thing. It's amazing. I think. Um... You know, even though we're we're all the way on the other side of the world over here in New Zealand, there wasn't a person I spoke to over the last week who wasn't kind of phone in hand anytime they were on a break or mm. not. You know, that wasn't checking the results to see what was happening. I think American politics are global politics for a lot of us, and we've all kind of got a a vested interest because I think a lot of the things that happen in America have big impacts on the rest of the world and I think we've kind of seen that in some of the the news articles that have played out over the last few days but I myself Paul have dabbled in a few other TV shows just to keep the fires of of half measures burning thank goodness thank goodness Dan 
All right, so I've watched a, a couple of TV shows. So the first one I've watched is a new TV show, a, a Netflix original uh, called Barbarians. So this is uh, just came out this year. It's only six episodes long, and it's basically set um, in um, 9 AD. So, so we're going back pretty far, and it basically is about a, a famous battle between the uh, Roman Empire and some Germanic warriors, uh, sort of barbarians, I guess. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting show it kind of has a little bit of a a lower budget the vikings feel to me mm-hmm. um i'm kind of intrigued with where they might take it with future seasons it was definitely quite cool seeing barbarians and um roman soldiers and legionnaires um fight i think the they saved all the budget for the final episode and I think they, they put on a pretty spectacular um, battle, which I thought was pretty cool. It's a, it's a TV series that um, like it's watched with sub, subtitles. Um, they actually, um, all of its, what is it in? God, I, I can't even, I'm not it's, sure if it's in it's, German. I think it's German, just looking at it, yeah. Just uh, the most the, the creators are all German, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, look, it was a, interesting show it's, it's a fairly easy watch it only six episodes long i just watched it over a couple of nights i think if you as i say if you're interested in vikings or maybe something like the last kingdom this might appeal to you it's definitely not gonna blow your socks off but it's probably a good time and i think it would be one that would be worth watching i think to show the creators and show netflix give us another season so that we can really see what this show is all about mm. I would watch it with, you know, obviously no subtitles needed. I think I might have a great time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm exaggerating. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just looking at the creators and the, there's there's nothing here that I recognize. So this would be a, a real, you know, a real journey into the unknown. Mm-hmm. I think what, what was interesting about it is when, you know, when I mentioned about saving their budget for the final episode, there's often uh, scenes where – um, some of the the uh, Roman soldiers would meet with uh, the different barbarians, and they'd talk about you know their their two thousand strong um, families and warriors and stuff. But in the scene, it would often be the same sort of six huts, um, and right. you know you, you didn't really get a, a sense of sort of um, grandeur and and lots of people. But at, at the same time, I think they're they're picking out a a time period that we we often don't see a lot about. So. Yeah, nine, it, nine AD, nine AD. That's that's quite a that's quite a way back, as you say. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So um, I have also started another TV show, which I I may have mentioned on the podcast before, uh, Queen of the South. So this is uh, another Netflix show here in New Zealand, and so I've watched all of season one. So there is currently four seasons out on Netflix. And the basic premise of this show is uh, a young woman basically flees Mexico after her drug uh, runner boyfriend is murdered and she ends up in Dallas, Texas. And she, the whole premise is that she's a kind of – the it sort of goes back in time, but she, she becomes a, a drug kingpin in America. Um, but she's she's very low down the, the food chain at the moment. She's literally – 
um, running drug shit. So the pilot episode is pretty hardcore. Like so many things happen to this main character, Teresa, um, which really set her up for the path that she goes on to in the future. And it kind of has some low-key um, Breaking Bad type vibes, not in the way that the story is told or how it's done, but in the sense that to become a drug kingpin, you have to do some things that you may not be comfortable with. Like you're obviously going to have to kill some people. You have to deal with uh, trafficking and moving of drugs. You have to be okay with things which the average person might not be. And look, so far, it's it's good. It, it kind of, I think it's more close. You know, I, I mentioned Breaking Bad before, but it's mm. it's probably more closely kind of linked to a show like Sons of Anarchy. Like it kind of it flicks a little bit. It sort of rides this line between serious, a little bit trashy, kind of gets a little bit violent. The dialogue can be good and bad. It's got lots of interesting characters, but so far for season one, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a really, it's been a fun watch. I find always your choices interesting, as I know you do mine as well. Um, but the fact that you've sort of likened this to a bit of Sons of Anarchy, a bit of Breaking Bad, gives me that sort of feeling that it would be a show you would definitely enjoy. Um, I was expecting you to be coming in hot with the uh, with the Pacific, Dan. But uh, you, have you gone? Is the World War Two vibe gone for this point? Uh, no, the Pacific will be coming back. Uh, there was just a, a request from the household to let's just slow down the war genre, the war train a little bit and mix it up. So the Pacific isn't going anywhere. It's on our backlog of <coughs> – sorry. It's about to cough in the podcast, just what everyone wants to hear. Um, no, I think it's, uh, it's it's still on the train. It's definitely – it's spec that in a – in the coming month or so. I imagine maybe over the Christmas break that might even come out again. But, yeah, we were just – it was something a little bit different just to sort of mix it up. It's a – to be honest with you, throughout this whole season of Queen of the South, we've kind of been on the fence and we thought at the end of the season we'll decide whether we're, we're in or out. But, you know, by the – I think what the show does quite well is they end each episode really strongly – Mm-hmm. leaving you wanting more and the the season finale has definitely done that and i'm definitely going to be back for for season two um which is as i say there's all four seasons already on netflix yeah i see that and it look the ratings look pretty good a lot of the reviews i was just quickly flicking through looked to be generally positive as well <clears throat> I, I enjoy this genre as well it's weird eh? you know the sort of the the breaking bad the narcos those types of shows i i, I never anticipated it ever get much out of them but i but i do and uh it looks good quality production values as well yeah and i I think that's kind of the weird thing like i and i feel conscious saying you know how i was saying uh breaking bad or sons of anarchy like it's not quite any of those things either like Mm. it sits kind of in in its own camp but it's it's you can see the linkages so if you're interested in something kind of action crime um, it can be a little bit funny. It's definitely got some really good character development. Then I, I think you might enjoy it. And it's always good to come across a show where there's already three or four seasons already out. Um, I always find that a, a good bonus. Yes, you don't want to do what I did and start watching a show that gets cancelled just six episodes in, like away, right? Correct, correct. So I've also watched a, a movie. So this was a, a recommendation from uh, somebody I work with, actually. And the movie is called The King of Staten Island. And so this is a movie I actually watched on iTunes. 
Uh, it's a comedy drama. And so it's basically about a, a character who has a, a case of, I guess, arrested development since his firefighter dad died and he spends his days basically smoking weed and, and dreaming of being a tattoo artist. And kind of the way that life kind of plays out for him, it kind of, it, the whole movie is about forcing him to deal with his grief and um, do do something with his life. Mm. It's uh, It stars Pete Davidson. It's pretty funny. It's also got... Um, Oh God, what's his name? Um, from F is for Family, Bill Burr is also is oh, yeah. also in it. It's got lots of laugh out loud moments. It's kind of uh, quite a heartfelt movie as well. It's got a little bit of not this level of humour, but it does have some Step Brothers vibes because uh, Pete Davidson's character is you know he's twenty four, I think. He still lives at home with his mum. His mum starts dating. He gets real mad about um his mum dating. He, he kinda hates the new boyfriend. <laughs> and so he's he's got this desire to be a tattoo artist and he's kind of just hangs around with his friends and he's hanging out uh, in one of the scenes, like down in an abandoned park or something. And this kid comes along and this kid would be under ten. And he says to the kid, Do you want a tattoo? And the kid's like, Yeah, I love the tattoo and he starts like tattooing this kid's <laughs> arm like it's it's kind of got some real quirky freak out sort of moments, but look, I think it's a fun watch. I hired this movie. I look, I think it's, I don't know whether I'd definitely recommend it as a strong hire, but I think when it comes to, like, I'm, I imagine for us in New Zealand, it'll, it'll come with a neon at some point. Look, I, I think it was, a, it's a bit of a have a laugh, feel good movie. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, Obviously, uh, Jude um, Apatow's the director. He does a lot of great stuff. So I think it's 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 one for the soul. Yep. There was a few things I was going to say, and you pretty much touched on all of them, including, um, you know, Judd Apatow as, as the is Apatow? Apatow? I'm not sure how you say it. Um, his, his resume is, <laughs> is Chris, Krasinski? I'm not sure. His 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 uh, resume of uh, movies is is quite impressive in the comedy field. So um so that I'm um, yeah definitely the comedy is the because it sort of describes it as a as a drama comedy, but I'm thinking it's probably more of a comedy drama. So indeed, come. indeed, and I think you know the other really interesting thing is I believe Pete Davidson, who's a stand-up comic, who's the main actor, his dad actually died in nine eleven, I believe. So it's mm. got some real um, good real life. Um, things which are, you, you can tell that these characters are drawing on. I think they, I, I would imagine if you're from New York or even more important, if you're from Staten Island, you'd probably really appreciate this film because it's kind of got a bit of that um, that vibe around it where, you know, when you've grown up in a, in a certain town and you're like, I don't know what people from this town do and you kind of just get like stuck in that, uh, that mindset of like, you know, we're not as good as Brooklyn or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, it's a good time. I was excited when I heard you say, I thought you said Peter Davison. I was like, oh, I haven't seen him for years since he was Doctor Who. But no, different guy, very different guy. Different guy, different guy. And Paul, so that's the main things I've been watching, apart from the things that we like to talk about together. Right. So shall we dive into, where do we go from here? Star Wars, The Mandalorian? Mandalorian. Okay. You want to? All right. So, chapter ten of the Mandalorian, a bit of a a different episode for us this week. And I, you know, you and I had this conversation before watching chapter ten that it was always going to be a hard ask for whatever chapter ten did 
to stand up to the hype of uh, the previous week's Chapter right. Nine episode. But I, I don't, I don't know what you thought about this episode. But the sort of the the basic we we were at with the Mandalorian is he is he's now left Tatooine. He's um, in search of uh, more Mandalorian intel. This time he has to take a, a passenger with him to another planet. We've got X wings. We've got. Um, frog people we've got the child eating eggs we've got giant spiders we've got so much stuff going on in this episode and i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if it's a bit of a a mixed bag of reviews out there i personally enjoyed it what did you think paul i did enjoy it uh at, at the same time um there's if we're comparing this within the, the the scheme of things with the mandalorian I will, if I had to rank them all right now, I would be putting it towards the bottom third, right? But but at, that, at the same time, all of those episodes are still great, right? So that's the thing. Even when you get a, an episode, and a lot of people, when I've been reading reviews, a lot of people have described this as a filler. I think that's a little unfair. Um, I did note it has got the lowest, joint lowest rated episode of Mandalorian so far. Uh, but I think coming off the bat of that last episode, as we, as we talked about, that's what you might expect. But there was so much in here that I did enjoy. There's some things I want to uh, talk about with you that I really did enjoy. I thought the the, the story, whilst it may have felt contrived at times, you know, this idea that we couldn't travel at light speed because that will kill these eggs, you know, it's a little contrived. But uh, I overall, I still really, really enjoyed it. I think, you know, I can see why people would think it's a filler episode, but I also thought it was quite an important episode in the the bonding of the child and mm. the Mandalorian because I think it real. I, I thought there was a lot of um, gr- fun scenes with uh, the child eating those eggs, just kind of being a bit naughty, uh, being bit, being a bit of a toddler, and I think it, it also reinforced how much their relationship has kind of grown and how much the Mandalorian cares for the child and, and wants to look after him and wants to keep him safe. I think there, you know, I think there's some real classic Star Wars moments in, mm-hmm. in this whole episode, all the way from the, the giant ant uh, who gave the information it's all kind of just a little bit too perfectly set up that he had some information to pass on I wasn't sure how I felt about the uh, the frog lady uh, but I by the end of the episode it, it kind of grew on me but it, it I it almost felt like there was too, too much puppetry yeah. type things going on I look and you talked about the child you know, acting like a toddler or a 50 year old toddler, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, I guess eating the eggs was quite funny. Although by the time I think he was eating the third egg, I was actually starting to feel a little bit sorry for the frog lady having a basically her unborn babies eaten in front of her. But, um, there was a lot, as you said, uh, of classic Star Wars moments. Um, I love the whole scene where we had those two X-wing pilots come in. Um, and, yeah, they sort of flew up alongside the Mandalorian and had that real casual chat. And then all of a sudden, you know, things get real serious um, with the, you know, sort of like, where's your paperwork? You're coming with us. I, I think and what was also so badass about that scene is when they popped the S-foils and they're going to basically X-wing formation. It was like a, it was the equivalent of a cop flicking on the siren and it was like, it's go time, and I thought that I thought that was super cool. Yeah, it's like a, like a sheriff just just taking the the safety off of his gun. You know, just sort of saying, 
look, I'm ready for some action now. Um, but I, I did. I love that whole chase scene. It was great to see. I mean, the Razor Crest was never going to escape two two X wings. So I thought, but I thought he made a valiant effort to do so. I also enjoyed seeing Dave Filoni as the New Republic X wing pilot again. Um, and also, did you spot um, Paul Sun Hyung Lee, uh, who normally plays uh, Appa, the dad in Kim's Convenience, as the other pilot? I thought he was. I thought he was pretty funny. I thought that whole that whole thing and the way they came and sort of saved the day at the end uh, was 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 really nicely done. Yeah, totally agree. I think so. Dave Filoni's character as Trapper Wolf. What a what a fantastic name and a great callback to uh, the Wolfpack uh, clones, and his, I think his all of the work that he's done in that, in that Star Wars space. And in terms of um, uh, Paul as um, Captain Teva, he's actually a really uh, active member in the Five Hundred First community, and he's got a oh. whole bunch of different Star Wars costumes and um, and, and characters that he that he owns and so again really cool to see him and i really i really enjoyed though i guess i had some sort of plot questions at the end when they've been attacked by the spiders and the two x-wing um two x-wings are there and they're just using their assault rifles to kind of basically blast away these spiders i thought both badass and is that you know is that enough firepower to really deal with these spiders but either way i i really enjoyed even just i think some of the small details in this episode of the even the Mandalorian's armor kind of frosting up as um, he would sort of go out into the snow and the ice and they kind of just showing the the gradual uh, change in the conditions. I thought that was really cool. I thought my probably main criticism actually of the episode was there was quite a few scenes where the child was walking and I feel like they haven't really got the walking down. Like it was kind of a borderline hop slash drag of the way he kind of moved around. Right. Okay. I haven't spotted that now, and so that's interesting because I'll probably now pay real attention to that. But uh, I've 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 generally been so transfixed by just the the child's face that I maybe I'm not paying enough attention. But uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It was a really child heavy episode, which was good because we didn't get much in that first episode. So it was nice to come back to the, the child again. I actually um, thought it was really cool those those ice spiders. Because um, they they were really a I don't know if they are the same species, but whether they are or not, it's kind of a real callback to those those spiders from Rebels. Um, so they were pretty creepy in an animated series, but watching them in a live action series, those things were really freaky. And again, you know, all different sizes, really good special effects, and uh, you know, terrifying terrifying scene really for for a show that we're letting our eleven year old son watch. So I, I can confirm those are the spiders from Rebels. I've watched a, a, a video that uh, connects that all together. And I think this actually speaks to, again, you know, when we've talked about this last week, having people like Dave Filoni involved in uh, a Star Wars project, it's just so great because we're getting a whole bunch of awesome stuff from Rebels, from Clone Wars, and it just connects into that wider universe. And we've got people making a show who are so passionate about it and they can kind of pull on these different threads um, of, the the law the l-o-r-e law mm. and the wider universe and just bring it all together and you know though i'm kind of you know there's a couple of things we can maybe pick some holes in for this episode mm. I, this is a, still a fantastic episode for me i'm just so grateful to have this show back in my life the only thing that makes me sad is that we've already watched two episodes of the eight i know i was just thinking the same thing we're only, we've only got eight all i can say to that as a counter is that eighth episode airs 
and then the week after it's Christmas. And so hopefully we'll sort of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have other things to focus on and be happy about. Uh, one other little um, bit of trivia. Uh, oh, firstly, can I say nothing makes me happier, Dan, than having you teach me stuff about styles and confirming stuff as canon. You know I'm all about the canon, so I really appreciated that because I would have gone away and just started looking at these ice spiders, so I really appreciate that. Um, D. Bradley Baker, he made a cameo. Uh, he was the the voice of the frog lady, and he is better known as the voice of Captain Rex, Commander Cody, and all, all of the clones that we've ever seen in the Clone Wars and that we will ever see in the new series, The, the Bad Batch. Um, so it was it was nice to have him come in there, although the frog lady was, was, was kind of weird. Uh, and then, of course, um, we also got a little cameo from, uh, what's his name? I can never pronounce his last name. Richard Ayodi. Is it? Yeah, from the IT crowd. Yeah, as the uh, as that um, droid again. Zero. Yeah, zero. That's yeah, right. zero. The droid. Mm, mm. Very clever. I thought that was really well done. Really well done. Like I really, um, as soon as I saw that droid, obviously when they played the previously on the Mandalorian, and then we sort of we saw, and sort of the wider shot inside the, inside the ship, and we saw Zero's body. You, we, it was almost like obvious that we were going to have to definitely u- utilize. Uh, something to do with that droid at some point in this story. Um, uh, look, I just thought it was great. Uh, it's so fun. I think the, the, the moment that I actually found stressful is, I think it might have been at the end of the episode or when the Mandalorian's like, wake me up when we get there or something. I yeah. kind of felt like it was, just, it, was, it was too high stress with the, with the child eating the eggs, with just <laughs> right. too much hectic stuff going on, and he was just having a nap. He needed some flow time. Okay. <laughs> I get really stressed out when I see the ship getting battered around because I'm quite certain that Santa Claus could be bringing the Lego Razor Crest to this house for Christmas. And I I really want that ship to have survived at least the first two seasons before it becomes a, a historic ship as opposed to a, a live ship. Um, the last thing I was going to add in was um, new director. So the first time, you know, they've sort of introduced a couple of directors throughout the series. And now we've got um, Peyton Reed directing, which is pretty cool because he's, He's done some good stuff. He's done uh, the Ant Man, the Ant Man and the Wasp, uh, a few comedy movies I like, New Girl. So um, it was, yeah, it was nice having an, another director come in to the show, and uh, we look forward to episode three mm-hmm. or chapter ta- chapter eleven, I should say. Ch- chapter eleven. Now, Paul, do we want to talk a little bit of sort of predictions for this episode? Because um, I actually think the the trailer for uh, season two actually gives us a little bit of spoilers for actually I think what we're in for for um, chapter 11 do we want to talk about that briefly well I think we can I think we'll just give people the chance to scrub forward if they haven't seen the trailer it'll only be a, it'll only be a minute or so go a let's, let's, let's go let's go Okay, okay, okay. So in the trailer, you actually see the Mandalorian and you see the frog lady walking along with another frog man i guess or frog frog person and so obviously they make it to the planet okay but it it looks like this this next episode is probably going to be focused on this um water world which the sort of the trailer featured quite heavily about which i'm pretty excited about because we're also going to hopefully get to see that hooded character is it sabine is it that's the is big it, one that's it? that's going to be a big reveal i think is it sabine is it someone else uh you know there's rumors of what else have we had? Rumors of Ahsoka. There's, there's, there's lots of different rumors. But um, 
Well, Sabine is with Ahsoka, right? So that's like when we last saw Ahsoka, mm. they were getting off on a quest together. And I actually did see, uh, you remember in the the first episode of the season, so chapter nine, there's actually some graffiti that they walk past. And the graffiti is actually of C-3PO, which I thought was really interesting. There's a there's a gold droid. And well, whether that's C-3PO or not, yeah. who knows? But you know, like chances are it probably is. Um, and just I think every time we see that graffiti, you know, like that that's that's Sabim's trademark. So I'm intrigued. Very intriguing. And look, I think if you're right, um seeing a frogman <laughs> sounds exciting. Um it's always interesting when Star Wars goes to water because they have so many landscapes, but we've only, from my memory, seen them really sort of go into a water environment in well, a lot in the animated series with Clone Wars in particular, but also I guess in the Phantom Menace, where they're going down to the Gungans uh at sort of uh camino where Django fed is on the water planet but it's it's kind of a different type of landscape for star wars to explore do you know what i mean we see a lot of deserts and a lot of space yeah i think it'll be good because i think we've we've had a few visits to tatooine now so it's uh time for some new environments but i think the show's great can't wait for the next episode i'm super hyped i'm all about it this is the way so paul it must be time for the Walking Dead, the fan favourite section. Everyone loves to hear us talk about it. Are you starting this, or am I starting it? Are you starting it? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna start it off. Um, don't forget, if you're sick of Dan and I, you know, talking about this, uh, the the world beyond and the Walking Dead, do use the show notes to, to scrub ahead. But um, I, and lucky, <laughs> if you enjoy hearing Dan and I get annoyed. Stick around. <laughs> and I guess I made an assumption there that you might be feeling the same way as me about the world beyond. So are my spidey senses correct there, Dan? I've got a few frustrations, but to be honest, are they different from my earlier frustrations? Probably not. Just okay. probably more enhanced. I feel like if this was a school report, and I've given this some thought, I feel like I would be saying this kid has potential but needs to start doing better and quickly because they're supposed to be graduating in less than two years. Um, and, yeah, the criticisms that I'm going to lay on this episode and on this this series now, because I feel like I've been relatively positive of the show, uh, are definitely – they're not – labeled at the actors so and um, i guess i'm saying that because you know as you know dan we have creators and cast members from various tv shows and writers of movies listen to our podcasts you know as you'd expect that's what the industry does listen to the quality podcasts so if someone from the walking dead is listening i have absolutely no problem with the characters or the actors um or the cast or anything to do with the acting it's i think this 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 group of young actors are terrific actually and i think the characters are all really good and quirky qualities it's the and it's not even the writers of the individual episodes that i'm thinking i'm having my issue with it's actually the uh the showrunners we need to as we've talked about before we need to sp speed the show up or a we're we're not going to get where we need to be in the two seasons and b if we do eventually get there we're actually going to lose a lot of viewers along the way is that a fair assessment yeah, I think so. I I actually like what you just said because I actually quite like all of the, the different actors that play these different characters. I'm intrigued about some of their backstories and how they fit into the wider 
uh, world beyond universe. But I think if we don't start heading somewhere quickly, because I think we just keep having these episodes that feel like we're kind of stuck in neutral. And, you know, by the end of this episode, they've now got a, a vehicle to maybe move a bit quicker. But we're actually still missing one of the group. And look, the first rule of Dungeons and Dragons is you never split the party. And the fact that they're actually missing a person even gives me a bit of anxiety of like, let's just get the group back together. Let's get to where we're going. Let's find out the same this is the same thing we talked about last week, Paul. They don't they don't have the fire to um make them go faster because they don't know what's actually happened. And so we as the viewer have all the information and they have none. And it makes it fatiguing that they that that we know more than they know. As, as characters in this universe that's a really good observation and it's i hadn't thought about it like that um and maybe that's why i'm feeling a little bit fatigued because i do like to be the glass is half full when i watch this show and look when i look at the actual the story there are there are elements of this episode that i really enjoyed like this whole sting operation that these two grifters are performing you know getting people to, to come along and help them out and then stealing stuff from them and then going on to, it's you know it's it's pretty bad but it, it's it's clever right yeah and i think it's it was actually good that we've finally actually met some other people because in this uh world beyond we haven't like we've come across obviously walkers but we haven't come across uh, any other humans and it was good to see that there i guess humans are still a threat out there in the in the world and, and i think another telltale sign for me that the producers have kind of got the, the, the format wrong. And I guess I'm talking about the, the bigger story arc. And that is when we get to the, when we get to that post credit scene. So we had another one of those post credit scenes, right? Where we're getting to see what's going on. We're back in the science lab and the world of the, what are they called? The, the civil Republic military, whatever, whatever they are. I feel like when we get to that point, I'm actually, the show's got my full attention. I'm almost not quite, but, metaphorically on the edge of my seat and i'm really watching every detail because i feel like oh here this is the gold that plays on the strength of the success of the overall walking dead universe and all the history and the lore l-o-r-e that that comes with it um it's that it's that moment that i feel like that's the storyline that the core walking dead fans are here for that's the show that you know should really be in a strong position because it's the it is the show that holds the the pen it holds that piece of the puzzle that actually links the three shows together in some ways and so for me those those scenes those post credit scenes they feel like i'm going to make a football analogy dan which i swore i'd never do but it's like you've got it's like you've got a star player on your team but instead of them playing from the start they're on the bench and then you sub them on for like the last three minutes and it's not enough for the star player and it's not enough for the fans who've come to see the star player. And so um, they're not giving us that side of the story enough. Is that fair? Or am I just letting my anger throw flow through me? <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's fair. And I think because, you know, so obviously they're doing something different here. So, so Michael Cadlitz was actually the director of this episode. Uh, so he's Abraham in our wider Walking Dead universe. Uh, he's directed some some cool stuff. Uh, again, just to really hammer home, like I don't think it's the characters. I definitely don't think it's the actors. I wonder if this is the story they want to tell. 
you know how like you know so we just talked about the the mandalorian and i'm kind of loving having it week by week because it's it's allowing me to really think about each episode and really appreciate it for what it is i actually wonder whether world beyond would actually benefit from just the complete drop drop the whole season for me and let me see all of it Mm. 100 percent, dan this is this is the time i love it when i agree on things like this because i am all about that week by week we've talked about it a lot this is the opposite i want to binge the whole lot over like the school holidays or, or whatever it's just like give it to me in one go so i can see that whole story the, the danger is of course is that we may we would get to the end of it and be really annoyed that we haven't got what we want to but at least we get there a lot quicker and i'm starting to wonder if maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe the writers wrote that first season thinking, uh, maybe they were under the impression, just like Julia Ormond was when she signed on, that it was going to be a six to seven season show, or at least a show with no end until it came to a natural conclusion. And they only found out it was going to be two seasons after the first season had started filming. And by that point, of course, it was it was too late to go and change the stories. Because, you know, these guys aren't silly. Surely they would have thought things through. I think the other thing that we are experiencing, and I think that we'll probably touch on this a little bit with fear, is we're kind of at peak Walking Dead, right? Like this is the third show of an already, you know, like we're talking 10 seasons of The Walking Dead. We're talking six seasons of Fear the Walking Dead. It is hard to find things which surprise and delight us in this universe where there is constantly uh, a central villain who as soon as they are taken down is replaced by another one. And I just think they need to start, I don't know. Then this is this has been, you know, some of the struggles with, with, with the wider Walking Dead universe over the years is, you know, I, I, I'm going to probably um, contradict myself. But so, you know, I, you, you would have heard me moan before about Paul when the Walking Dead got too big, and so that was probably back in around, and after um, after the governor and they kind of brought in other people from from his camp, and then mm-hmm. kind of the, we had all these extra characters, and then I kind of was like, oh, there's all these like extra people in my in my space that I don't know about, and finally we've got this quite tight small group of. Walking Dead survivors, which in theory should actually appeal to me because it's a tighter group of people I care about. And I know that they have to tell us stories to get us caring about them, but they can't do that and not progress the story at a faster pace because I think, you know, you've only got to look at the the episode-by-episode reviews. It really worries me that are we definitely going to get season two? Like, is that locked in? Because if you were funding this, would you be sure that we need it? And I'm going to be real annoyed if I've invested my time in a season of this and I don't get a season two, even though I'm sitting here having a giant whinge about it. I'll be really annoyed too, but statistically part of me will be really excited to see what you'd have to say coming on this podcast if they did that. Look, it's a really valid point that you raised because for anyone who's listening to us who doesn't watch the show thinking, what's these guys' problems? This show is trending at 4.0 out of 10 online there, and the episode ratings are generally uh, between 5 and 6. Ironically, Dan, this is the only episode so far that actually rates over 6, which I find extraordinary. And Because I, I think, you know, to be fair, I watched this with Diana, and I don't think she got a lot out of this episode, and we have on some of the previous ones. So, um, I yeah, I just feel like... I go into, you know, when you sit down and you watch a show like The Mandalorian and you're just thinking, oh, 
come at me. I'm really excited for it. I'm hyped. I come to this show just almost thinking, please, please let this be a good one. Let's 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 progress this story. Let's get moving. Let's get because I want them to succeed. I'll tell you what's weird about it though is when I see that. So it's on Amazon Prime here in New Zealand. I get excited when I see that like multicolor little tile card pop up on my Amazon Prime. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to watch some World Beyond, even though I kind of know I'm in for an average time. But I, I, I'm still excited to watch it. That tile card is really attractive and draws you in. It's real colorful, and then you sort of within. 10 seconds of the world beyond playing it you can see oh it's actually drab and gray and you know we're in an apocalyptic world where it's it's awful so um paul you mentioned you've got a report card so i wondered whether we should move on to fear the walking dead yeah so you know i gave world beyond their report it's only fair i do the same for fear the walking dead and i'm always curious to hear what you as the headmaster might think of my teacher's report uh i feel like I would be saying Fear the Walking Dead is having a great year. It's performed well, definitely top of their class. I feel like this was an episode that I really enjoyed because we got the characters, Sherry and Dwight, they were center stage, and I don't think we've ever really had that before, and I think they deserve it. And, we, you know, I think you and I both admitted we gave up on finding them ever finding each other a long time ago and then two weeks ago we had them reunited so this was a really good strong story to test their relationship also to bring in the always awesome morgan i mean i think you and i are just finding him an exceptional character now and he's really risen up the the rankings of of where we might have our walking dead rankings we have a, a bunch of people who are out to get rid of Virginia now, these guys with the masks. We get an awesome scene with four people on horseback taking down a military-grade swap vehicle, whatever. You know, I, I I thought it was was great. I thought it was an emotional roller coaster with, with Dwight and Sherry too. But before I talk about that anymore, Dan, what's, how's my scorecard looking? So I agree with you that I think Fear the Walking Dead is having a great season six. And I have largely enjoyed all episodes of this. I would say for me, though, this is probably my least favorite of, of this season so far. And it's weird that it's like that for me, but there's a couple of things that I found frustrating. So just tune in to me for, for the Walking Dead moans. So, so we finally get Dwight and Sherry back together. Great times. Sherry's in the secret gang of people that wear these kind of dolls masks. <laughs> she can't even tell Dwight, hey, hey, boo, uh, I'm in this thing. I'm going to let them scare the crap out of you by surprising you in a sort of a house of horrors type way and kidnap you and take you to our base. Dwight, being the complete badass and star of the show, then disarms the you know, one of the members of this group within seconds, including like snapping his cable tied hands. I thought that was pretty badass. Yeah. Then we have this kind of emotional roller coaster of Sherry kind of pushing Dwight away. And it made me so annoyed. I'm like, this poor guy has just tracked halfway across the country for you. We've all forgotten what you looked like. And we've just been reminded that, oh my God, Dwight's found happiness. And then you've kind of, I, I don't know, Dwight. I think you need to make some new life choices. I, I found it frustrating. I found it frustrating the way the whole kind of characters interacted. 
I'm glad that Morgan came along and talked some sense into them. I'm glad that he's got a bigger plan. I'm kind of happy for Dwight that he's like, actually, I found her. I know she's alive. I've got to live my life. But the fact he's still leaving clues for her, set her free, bro. Set her free. <laughs> I think you, you guys are uh, different people now. My one thing I thought was cool about this episode was the reference to Negan. Like, I thought it was really cool to just have a, a brief, yes. you know, 10-second scene where they're talking about Negan. And I was like, that's cool, man. Like, it's cool how they're kind of talking about this bigger universe. And I get, and I get why at, like, a deeper character level. I'm really on a full rant now, Paul. I get that, like, you know, obviously Sherry feels like, um, you know, obviously the stuff happened with Negan. She's worried that Dwight's going to turn into, you know, this guy that he was with Negan. Oh, this kind of additional baggage. But I don't think you can take me on that journey when she when they've just reconnected. I would have rather have had that complexity of their relationship play out over the season. I didn't need it kind of jammed down my throat in one episode. I love it we're on different pages because I, I love the fact it all happened in one episode. That's that's the thing I found actually the thing I found that I felt most gutted or deflated about was actually when and I'm gonna to touch on some of the points you raised when Dwight pulled that gun on Morgan and Elle, that's when I felt deflated. I felt like, oh, no, come on. We've, we've seen you build this relationship and this this trust. And I felt like you and I had maybe jinxed this, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we said, oh, you know, how much he's changed. He sounds different. He looks different. So, so I was so glad when his journey back to the dark side was blocked. I just, I just really didn't want to go down that path for this character. And I thought it was great because – the, well, I thought it was great writing because on reflection, I thought what it, it deliberately did was put me through that, you know, as you put it, that emotional roller coaster. But it had me come out on the other side feeling relieved, but a little uneasy about how we got to this this nice ending with the with the congregation following Morgan on his horse. And this ties into what you just said about Negan as well. And I, I just gave this this lecture to, to Will Beyond about not playing to its strengths. And and for not using the the law of the Walking Dead wider universe, and this is where Fear the Walking Dead is doing the complete opposite. And what I mean by that is it's making those connections uh, across the show. So in this week's episode, as you said, why is Sherry so determined to take down Virginia? What's driving her? And we're all thinking the same thing. And then Dwight calls her out on it, and he says it's not about her; it's about Negan. And so straight away, I start thinking, as as you probably did, about what went down. I don't know, five years ago when Sherry was, you know, Sherry was Negan's wife at that point. And, you know, she was really in that prime position to to have been able to take him down. And this is during season six of The Walking Dead, don't forget. So this is, if she'd done something, Glenn, Abraham, I don't know who else, some people would not have suffered at Negan's hands. So for me, that rich story in that context all adds to the weight of the moment as Sherry and Dwight and let's not forget, as you say, two weeks ago, they're so beautifully reunited. And now, all of a sudden, really divided by the events that we saw, because of the events we saw in a different TV show five years. And that's playing to your strengths. That's good television. And that's what the World Beyond, sorry, I know we're talking about Fear the Walking Dead, but that's what the World Beyond needs to start doing. And so I like the fact that they did that in this episode because they made me uncomfortable. I was like you. I wasn't happy with what was going on, but... In the end, I mostly cared about Dwight's relationship with Elle and with Morgan more so than Sherry. 
Mm. Sorry, that was a long rant. No, no, no. I think um, the other thing that kind of is, I, I guess the other thing for me is that, you know, we talk about like there's been some so many great character episodes. Like we've got a really good, um, we had a really good John episode with the key. We did have that really good uh, Alan Dwight episode with Alaska. We've had some good um, Alicia and Strand episodes and Welcome to the Club. We've had the Great Morgan episode. And I feel like what's quite great about this collective season of Fear the Walking Dead is there they've really made me care so much more deeply about these Fear the Walking Dead characters than they have about a character in a very long time. And I'm, I think we might have talked about this before. I really like the way they do the intro music and they've kind of got the, yes. the silhouette. And it's got that great Western vibe. My, my only other two things about Fear the Walking Dead is one, how the hell did Morgan find everyone? Like just riding his horse across Texas. Like how are you GPS tracking people? Like that, that's just some weird, weird dumb luck. Um, and the other thing is, so Virginia as a, as a bad guy, I kind of found myself watching this episode kind of letting out one of those exasperated sort of sighs around, oh, gosh, so when Virginia's gone, who who's next? And mm-hmm. it kind of these kind of borderline comical villains are always kind of a bit obnoxious, and I feel like we've just seen them in so many different ways. And I think one of the things which Fear has previously done quite well is they've had obviously interesting battles over things like water reservoirs and um, tribal lands and all, all sorts of like different things. And I'm intrigued to see where this all heads. And I I think it's going to be more connected than we probably realise Um and it's probably good that fear's on at the moment because it actually lifts me up when Walking Dead brings me down. So, and I'm really, yeah. I'm on board with a lot of things you said. And I'll just, I'm also on board with the fact that we don't have any adverts. Imagine if we were watching The World Beyond and Fear the Walking Dead with adverts. It's just such a different experience. Because for anyone listening to this outside of New Zealand, we have adverts all the time, but on Amazon Prime and on Neon for these shows, we don't. And that makes a real big difference. I like your comments about how, you know, they're making you care about the, the characters. We have touched on that before. I am conscious though, just, I was just looking through all the characters and I feel like what, what's going on? You know, we haven't seen Luciana. We, we've, we haven't seen much of Alicia. We've only really seen her in one episode and I guess all right, we're only five episodes in, but uh, I feel like um, I, I'd like the idea of maybe having an A story and a B story across different characters. Mm, I, look, I think that I'm a big fan of of Alicia being, I think, a real star of the show, and I'm I'm gutted that we don't see more of her character because I thought they were really growing her into something something really amazing. I think what this does get me a little bit excited for is these six additional episodes of season ten of the original Walking Dead, where they're going to be a bit more character driven because if they're at the quality of some of these character driven episodes we've had for Fear. I think it's going to be a really fun time. But to your point, yeah, I'm not sure where some of these other smaller characters are. And I think this is one of the weird things which Walking Dead often does and collectively across the universe is they bring in these characters and you're often not sure, like, are, are you, a, for lack of a better term, an, an, an A-tier character or are you a B-tier character? And they often move them around. And I think, you know, Alicia's even a good example of that where for a while there I thought she was going to be the showrunner and uh, – you know, really kind of like 
lead, leading this. Um, and they obviously sort of went in a bit of a, a different direction, particularly bringing Morgan in. Um, but yeah, there is a few people that just seem to be kind of not forgotten about, but they've become a bit more background. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. And what's interesting is she has the most credits now of any actor or actress on the Fear the Walking Dead, uh, Alicia, um, with 85 episodes. Then it's Victor Strand. Then it's Luciana. Then it's Daniel. And then after that, it's actually Morgan. Morgan is the, you know, he's already gone past like Madison, who was like the lead, you know, and Nick. Uh, the, so these characters now, because they've been there since 2018. So they, they've got a lot of sort of, wait you know alicia has the most episodes but yeah we, we've hardly seen her i wonder maybe she was she recording other movies or stuff i don't know who knows if i'd done my research maybe i would it's interesting because it's it's been long kind of rumored and, and speculated that madison may make a return at some point mm. to fear the walking dead and i actually worry about like i don't know if there's a place for madison and you know we've got too many other big characters in there and i would hate to see Madison rejoin at the expense of some of these other characters we started to really care about, but I guess that's a that's a future gripe. Stay tuned, listeners. Stay tuned. I'm full of loans. <laughs> I love how we've got like a, you're pre-triggered by something that might happen. That's that's really good. That's really good. But you're right. You're absolutely right. And those those new characters. I think that Lajie came in in 2018. So I'm talking John. I'm talking L. I'm talking uh yeah morgan coming in and i actually i'll touch on this on the mailbag a little bit later um but um uh i think those characters with the exception of nick uh who i always really enjoyed um i think that all of them with all due respect uh, are far better and that's why we've got a better show on our hands but um but yeah that's that's fear the walking dead i'm really conscious that we've been talking about it now for 47 minutes so uh <laughs> Every every week, I think to myself, it'll just be a five minute segment. And every week, when I'm doing the the show notes and working out how long everything's, it's always an eighteen minute, twenty minute conversation about The Walking Dead. It's outrageous. There'll be more to come when we get to the mailbag. But for now, shall we flick across Dan to our movie of the week? Yeah. So movie of the week. Um, do I still need to explain? I guess I do. Just in case you're a new listener, every week Paul and I choose a. We take turns choosing a movie, which we both watch, so we can both do a bit of a, a deep dive into it. And so this week, uh, we've gone for a um, movie that's on Neon here in New Zealand. It is the Robert Eggers' uh, 2019 movie, The Lighthouse. Yeah, so Dan, of all the movies of the week that we've done since we started this podcast, I have to say I think you've chosen the most non-Hollywood the most intriguing and the most WTF movie we have had yet. So I'll give us a, a real quick summary so people know what we're talking about. And then I think I'll hand over to you, Dan, to see what, what you thought, first of all. So it's the late 1890s, and as the sound of a foghorn fills the air, a former lumberjack, played by Robert Pattinson, and the grizzled lighthouse keeper, played by William Defoe, set foot on a secluded lighthouse miles at sea. And then following four weeks of back-breaking work and unfavorable conditions, the tight-lipped men will have no one else for company except each other, forced to endure irritating idiosyncrasies, bottled-up resentment, and a lot of hatred. And then, amid these bad omens, a furious uh, storm comes in, and 
now all of a sudden this already inhospitable volcanic rock is where they're going to be stuck there they're going to be here for a long period of isolation hunger agony manic isolation booze adult visions and the eerie stranglehold of insanity tightens and the question is is there escape from this uh, this wallless prison of the mind because it is that psychological element that comes into this movie dan what are you thinking well, the reason I selected this movie is I've, all, I've I've been intrigued by it for quite a while. I am very intrigued, but I but I haven't watched it yet. Um, Robert Eggers' previous movie, The Witch, because I constantly hear very good things about it, but I haven't found it on any available platform here in New Zealand of late. So, and I'm also interested in expanding my Robert Patterson. Uh, mm awareness and prep for Batman because I, I, I want to see his range. I want to see what he's all about. He's, you know, people have been raving about him. This movie definitely has that, you know, super arty vibe, even from the poster, the whole movie's shot in black and white. It's all shot in uh, four by three ratio. It's very grainy. It's confined. It's claustrophobic. It's got, you know, basically three actors in it. And, you know, one of them is a huge superstar. One of them's a, a up and coming huge superstar as well. I feel like this is one of those movies that you like. You more have to appreciate it from its more sort of like artiness, and it's kind of you. It's a movie you go away and think about. To be honest with you, though, I was pretty bored for the entire movie. I. I really struggled with it. I think uh, one of the comments in our Discord channel is it's a good movie, but it's a it's a journey or something, or it's a it's a trip around the block. And it was that. I think when I finished it, I was glad to have watched it, and I've given lots of thought to what actually happened and kind of the the deeper subtext of what was happening. But it's not necessarily an easy watch like I never found myself like I was kind of like oh what if I was this a good choice for us um but in saying that I, I I know that this is this is a piece of like it's it, it's scored amazingly well on a whole bunch of different platforms I'm I'm probably just not artsy enough for it you know I'm probably not smart enough for it that's probably the problem I, I doubt that very much Dan I look I think it's one of the most extraordinary movies i've ever seen and you know when you put a movie on and you can tell within the first two minutes okay this is going to be weird um uh, i will say yeah I, I will say right off the bat this is not a movie i would be recommending for everyone not by a, a long stretch but i guess if you do watch a lot of movies and you're keen to try something a bit left field a bit different then it's definitely worth considering this um interestingly though what with what you said about you find yourself quite bored despite everything that was weird at no point was I bored. I found it really oddly very interesting. I found, you know, you, you talked about that, that claustrophobia, that isolation factor, quite compelling, combined with the fact that these guys were in that confined space. You know, a lighthouse obviously feels very, very small. There's not much room. It's always raining. It's always, it's windy. It's always dark or it's overcast. You've mentioned, you know, it's that 4-3 ratio. It's, um, it's like watching what we used to watch on our old TVs back in the eighties and nineties, that squash screen sort of added to that feeling of it being a small space. Um, so that was something I really enjoyed for a change. Um, and 
no matter what anyone might think, and I, th- I think you've sort of touched on this, whether you enjoyed it or whether you didn't or how you might rate it, I don't think anyone would argue that the the performances that that Robert Pattinson and William Defoe get throughout this movie are anything other than than superb with what they do for this movie. I think that's a really good point, and I actually I I regret saying the word bored. Like bored isn't quite the right emotion. I think it's I more found that a it was an uphill slog for me to kind of like if <laughs> slog's a strong word, isn't it? It was an up it was an uphill journey of it's obviously a different pace from things that we often watch. It is very, I think as an as an actor, this is the type of movie that you dream about getting because you get to really embrace a character and you get to really like push it to its limits. And I think both um, Robert Patterson and William Defoe get to do that in a in a fantastic way. I think it is just that it's. I think I found it hard to watch because it feels like a movie you need to be at a certain point at in the day or mm. throughout the weekend to watch. And I think when I started watching, I was like, oh, God, this is much more heavier than I was expecting. And I, But I kind of felt like I had to push through yeah. to get it done. Yeah, we, we typically, well, I say we, I, Diana and I typically watch our movie of the week on it. It's like a Saturday night movie for us. But, of course, we didn't have that because of the, the, the US election. So maybe we were saved from the fact that we didn't, attempt to watch it on the saturday night and it felt different maybe that's why you found it so exciting paul maybe that is um i don't know if i'd use the word exciting but um but robert pattinson look i've i feel like i feel excited now about batman because i've never seen him in anything like this not even close and when i think of him now this is how much of an effect this film has had on me when i think of him now i think of him in this film and i think at least until the batman comes out i think that's how i'll always imagine him now because i've found him really quite vivid in this he was quite a force to be reckoned with you know in terms of a man slowly losing his mind in this existence of you know isolation and drink and guilt and frankly by the end of it really surreal hallucinations um and you know the same same for william defoe i I found him scary as hell he was he was also hilarious because he played that kind of battered sea dog type and he had some great some great monologues and again you know Putting aside, actually putting aside all the craziness, if I, if we were going to do a, a peak performance for, for for Willem Dafoe, I'd actually put this top of my list. I, I really found him memorable in this movie, and uh, yeah, just just a, a really great performance from an actor who, if I'm honest, when I think of it right now, I can think of him in a Robert Redford movie. I can think of him as the Green Goblin, but beyond that, I know he's been in heaps of stuff, but I'll never forget him in this movie. And that's 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 a great sort of takeaway for me. Can we talk about some of the the deeper meaning of this film, Paul? Like, what's your what's your thoughts on what it all what it all means? What what I, what is it? I feel I feel like so. Robert Pattinson's character is obviously a bit of a, a drifter. He's sort of going from place to place wherever he can make money. And he saw an advert, bearing in mind we're going back to eighteen ninety. I'm not sure where he's seeing this advert, but to you know to to make heaps of money working offshore. And so he's he's come along and. He 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 thinks he's fine, but he's not prepared for the the mental anguish of being isolated for so long. We've talked about isolation in a number of different movies, and right now I can't think of what they are other than I think uh, the the Martian, uh, the I also astronaut, the last push that I watched, also movies like um, the platform, different movies of sort of isolation and the effect that that can have on someone, combined with 
this this old lighthouse keeper, Willem Dafoe, who appeared to have been there for ages, potentially had murdered the people who had been there before. But it drifted into, and this is what I think uh, the conversation in the Discord channel was talking about, it drifted into, were some scenes hallucinations? Were they memories? Were they really happening? Was he really some spirit of the ocean, like the Kraken? I, I don't know. So th- th- I think it's the isolation and the drink. Just basically, I if I was to say what I thought happened, I think it was this young guy and this old guy both getting boozed, both in a real tight space, both in one one or two um, books short of a library, and just 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 really just going crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was that was good. I for the longest time throughout the movie kept thinking to myself, are Thomas Wake and Thomas Howard actually the same? Like, are they actually the same person? It's kind of like a either a, not alter ego, but kind of like the either the memory of the same thing happening of, of both. You know, because you know they look even quite similar. They're both called Thomas, obviously, um, but obviously, the, like it's, it has a whole bunch of deep meaning. And I feel like one day someone's going to explain this movie to me, and it's going to blow my mind. Blow my mind, much like you know the first time I saw the Blair Witch Project, and I was like, oh yeah. And then someone, I talked about it with someone afterwards, and it scared the crap out of me once I started talking about it. And I feel like this movie has that type of. Uh, component to it it just I think you need to look at it through the right lens and it would be a real game changer I just think I just wanted a a movie that I I wouldn't easily recommend without knowing what you're in for and I think maybe if you're a fan of The Witch this is probably definitely one to check out if you're in for something a little bit different um, a little bit more arty if you're interested in seeing the the range of a, a, a younger guy like Robert Patterson definitely one to check out but it's not your standard Hollywood blockbuster, that's for sure. That's a that's a really good summary. And yeah, the 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 Robert Pattinson factor was the big one for me because I've I've come away with this thinking, wow, he's he's got a like you said, the word range. I think that's the that's the key there. So now now I'm thinking, wow, yeah, him as Bruce Wayne, that's quite exciting. Definitely, definitely. Well Paul, I look forward to what your choice is going to be this week. I think um the bar is low emotionally, so uh, show me what you got. Hopefully, it's not something from CNN. Too far, too far, <laughs> too far. Okay, it must be time for a little bit of uh, news. Yes, so um, the the votes are in. And the pre- oh, sorry, we're not doing that news. You mean movie and TV news? Okay, I'll pass back to you, Dan. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, so I'll just sort of quick fire um, over a couple of the things that have come across my news desk over the last week. So, The Umbrella Academy season three has just been confirmed. So, very exciting for both Paul and I are big Umbrella Academy fans. I feel like we came to the party a little bit late, but that's all right. Season three, officially in development. Looks like they're about to start production in February next year. So all going to plan with COVID and all of those sort of terrible things. Hopefully sort of near the end of next year, we'll be sitting down for a a season three review of the Umbrella Academy. Are you excited, Paul? 
definitely excited. And it's interesting when you say, oh, I think we came to this a little bit late. I'm, I'm beginning to think, just like you talked about with um, your, your Barbarian show, it's, uh, it's, it's good. I think it's good sometimes to come in a bit late and you can, you can easily catch up, which is what I'm doing with, with The Watchmen and, and now with Fargo Season 4 as well. I think it's great to have a little bit of, uh, you know, bit of time already. So I'm very excited. I really am interested to see what direction they're going to go with based on how it finished at the end of Season 2. Um, I presume the whole cast are back. So, uh, yeah, very excited. It's great news. Okay, now this one you'll be super excited for. You may remember a little movie called Bloodshot, which I talked about with... Um, oh. You know, fan of the show, Vin Diesel. So Bloodshot is one of those movies that they released it straight to uh, iTunes and video on demand right at the start of COVID. And this is basically Vin Diesel plays a, a, a super soldier uh, type Marine. It's a, definitely a good popcorn movie. I actually had a lot of fun watching it. I am intrigued to see that they're going to do a season two. They definitely set it up for season two. Uh, but look, I think when this comes out, Paul, on you know maybe maybe a free platform, I wouldn't maybe recommend you know going out to hire it or anything like that. But maybe give it a give it a shot, and then uh, as Bloodshot Two comes out, we can we can do a bit of a deeper dive into it. Um, I'm very excited, Dan. I look forward to that. Good, good. Okay, so the Quiet Place, the Quiet Place Three. So we haven't even had the Quiet Place Two yet. But there's already talk of uh, a, a Quiet Place 3 um, movie and sort of a, a wider universe spin-off, which is quite interesting. So The Quiet Place 2 was actually due out this year. Again, delayed because of COVID. Hopefully, I think we're going to get it around April-ish next year. But interesting to see that they're already doing more stuff in that space. If Quiet Place 2 is anything like Quiet Place 1, I think this is going to be uh, an epic story, and I think they've got a really interesting story and universe to explore um, and many different stories to tell. So I'm intrigued to see what happens with that one. Okay, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Paul. You remember this movie? Yeah. A classic, a classic. So this is uh, a little bit of it's, – it's more of a rumour – news bit of information and apparently it's long been talked about what a, Fer a ferris bueller's day off two might look like and a whole bunch of different ideas have been pitched and talked about but uh one of the one of the actors alan ruck one of the, mm. the co-stars of ferris bueller's day off um, was recently pitched an idea and he really liked it for a, a ferris bueller's day off two concept and so what the idea is is that they wait until both of these characters are actually in their seventies and one of them's in a rest home and the other one breaks the other one out from a from a day out from the rest home. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. What a what a awesome way to kind of like have a part two of this of this movie. Amazing. That would be fantastic. Uh again, another movie where I don't know how often we said this we've said this where I never thought they'd do a sequel to that movie. This is one that I just thought was we would never see so i'm i'll be right behind that so many of these sequels that are coming through late i'm i'm all about that i love it as an adult ferris bueller's day off is a real anxiety um driven ride as you just kind of get a bit stressed out about all the things that are actually happening as an adult but back in its day it was a fun movie and what else have I got here? A couple more things. So Shameless, season 11. So this is the US version of Shameless. 
they've actually, this is going to be the final season, I believe, of Shameless, they've actually changed the script to include the COVID pandemic. So the US version of Shameless is one of my favourite TV shows that I, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure. I haven't watched season 10 yet, but I've kind of got it sitting there waiting because it's this such fun characters it's such a a fun family to um go and spend a season with and you can kind of binge it over over a weekend so um that's definitely also going to be on my my christmas watch list at some point and i'm really excited to see what they do with uh season 11 and how uh covid impacts the the shameless family amazing i haven't seen any of shameless so uh i'm sure it's great news for those people who are big fans of it I think you should give it a go. Add it to your list, Paul. Add it to the, with the wire and the list is out of control. You've got no time. It's out of control. You've got no time. Okay, final bit of news for me, and then I'll hand over the the mic to you, Paul. So this is a little bit of Mandalorian season two news, and that episode four is actually going to be directed by Carl Weathers, which is a oh a really interesting time. Oh, that's interesting. So Carl Weathers actually plays one of the. Um, the, the bounty hunter characters I've what it was is uh, grief grief cargo yeah. yeah so it'll be really interesting to see what he does with episode four it's you know we don't probably don't need to talk too much about it we've already talked a lot about Mandalorian this episode but um I'm excited to see what he does very exciting I I'm like I was talking about before with um, Peyton Reed coming in directing that episode it's it's always interesting to see someone else come in because uh, it, it adds something new um, so. Very good. Star Wars related news. Um, this is uh, one that popped up in the uh, in the Discord news channel, Dan. So you would have already seen this, but the rumor, unconfirmed, of a Boba Fett miniseries being filmed. That sounds extraordinary to me. So I'm not going to touch too much on that because it is only rumor only. But even just the idea that, that could be happening is 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 quite exciting. Um, also on Star Wars, the season three of uh, The Mandalorian is in the works and could be on in production sometime uh, early to late, early, sorry, early to mid next year, apparently, which seems really soon. Star Trek Discovery season four kicked off uh, filming this week. Actor Doug Jones, who plays uh, Captain Saru, he, uh, he has to wear a lot of prosthetics. He, he, he just shaves his head now. He's just given up wearing the bald cap. <laughs> he just shaves his head. So they had some pictures of that being filmed. So that's great. Season four is underway. It always gives me that that great feeling like you had with Cobra Kai when you know that that, that next season's already in the works and you sort of you just get that little bit more uh, sense of being a bit more relaxed as you're watching a show like, you know, like unlike what we've got with Will Beyond. So that was uh, really interesting. Um, I also saw, and I don't know why I stopped watching this. So this is a trigger for me to go back. Uh, because I love the DC Gotham universe, um, the the TV series Pennyworth, uh, which follows um, Alfred Alfred Pennyworth, I started watching the first few episodes. I don't know why we stopped because I was enjoying. It. I don't know why we stopped, um, but the, the the trailer for season two of that has has just been released and is apparently, from what I've read, um, uh, looks really good. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know why I stopped watching that. So that's that's quite exciting. And I also hear that um, Fantastic Beast Three may have found a replacement for for um, for Johnny Depp. Any guesses as to who it might be? 
I've got no idea. Is it Johnny Depp? <laughs> it's not. It's uh, Galen Erso himself. It's Hannibal himself. It's uh, it's Mads Mikkelsen. So um, that could be. I can't complain at that. I can't complain. I, not that I like. I've got a. I've I've mixed feelings about uh, Johnny Depp stepping down from this role, um, but I think that's a, a, a really great choice as a replacement. Uh, he's he's just great. He's one of those actors. Whether it's Le Chiffre in Casino Royale, Hannibal, Rogue One, everything I've seen him, he's he's always fantastic. Great voice, um, and yeah, the Johnny Depp thing. That you know, he's gone. That I guess that's what that's all we need to say at this point. There's uh, awful circumstances and things that are going on around that, but. Uh, Anyway, Maz Mikkelsen. That's all I've got in the mailbag this week, Dan. No, that's all I've got in the news desk, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> what is in the mailbag, Paul? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a few things in there. So um, the, the New Zealand streaming platform, Neon, uh, who, as you know, Dan, are the source of many of our favourite TV shows and movie of the weeks. So they've started to get involved with some half measures, which is great. Um, they responded to your review of Lovecraft Country on Twitter, in fact, uh, saying that it was epic and it was one of their absolute favorite shows of the year. Uh, and then over on Instagram, they added our Fear the Walking Dead post to their their Facebook and to their Instagram story. Um, in fact, that story was also viewed by the actor Austin Emilio, who plays Dwight, uh, who we were talking about earlier. Um, we had no reply from Dwight, but that's okay. He's got zombies to fight. He's got sherry to deal with at this point so we get it um on the subject though of fear the walking dead their official instagram account was taken over for for a few hours by the actress christine evangelista who actually plays sherry and so she ran a live q a on instagram and she sent a video reply to us which i think then is the first video we've ever had in the mailbag so if anyone is interested you can you can check out her reply to us on the official Fear the Walking Dead Instagram account and just click on the highlights uh, for Christina's takeover that day. Um, and we actually got that video from her the same day that Fear aired. So it was kind of disappointing to see her and Dyke go their separate ways after she talked about how cool it was them both being reunited. That was that was quite weird. Anyway, it's good to see both Dwight and Sherry uh, checking out the, the Half Measure social. Uh, in fact, Dan, I do have one last piece of Fear the Walking Dead news to tell you about. And this is what I talked about when I said about the... Uh, the, the 2018 characters that were coming in we were talking about earlier and so our week by week episode reviews have got the attention of an australian movie and tv reviewer uh, geek girl review who's actually been in our mailbag before and she commented this week that she'd given up watching fear the walking dead in season two um but with all of our positive recent reviews <laughs> <laughs> some of them anyway um no but in all seriousness she's th she's thinking of giving it another go and she asked us what might be a good place to jump back in so dan that's this is where i'm thinking season four would be for me when to, to jump in because that's when the quality started to go up and when we had that influx of new characters but what say you oh this is tough for me because I'm not really a fan of just jumping in midway through a season. And I actually had a, a similar Fear the Walking Dead experience where um, I started season one and two, and then for whatever reason I kind of uh, fell off the wagon and then had to sort of come back and I actually went back and, and rewatched it. And 
much like how we were talking about World Beyond, I actually think it, it's quite a good watch now that all of the episodes are out because you can kind of really sink your teeth into it. I think obviously season one and two, it goes in quite a different direction after that. But I think if, if you've got the time and in, if you've got the bandwidth, I would even possibly give it a go from the beginning. But I think if you if you are time poor, maybe maybe follow Paul's advice and jump in at season four. That you could probably even watch a you know, there's this thing called YouTube that Paul often reminds me of and, and you could watch a bit of a, a season one, two, three recap. Uh, but I think there's there's enough interesting stuff, I think, um, that, that that could make it interesting for you. Yeah, good good idea. So um look it's nice to be asked a question anyway, you know, I think people should be asking us more questions. We know what we're talking about on this podcast, right? So, um, so, so thanks for that. And, and Dan, she also added to your review of um, Lovecraft country that she loved that series too. And she said when she got to the border house, I'm not sure if that's an episode title or a quote, but when she got to border house, she said, at that point she pretty much shed her pants. So I have no idea what that means, but anyone who's watched the series, mm-hmm. series probably does. Uh it's a great show. I think, uh, you know, I talked about watching Lovecraft Country with my mum. So when she went home, she actually put it on for her partner. and She's watching the whole thing all over again with him. So I think that's how good it is. And I, I feel like it's obviously reaching different audiences, um, both young young and old. Sorry, mum. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And it's good when you can, when you do a rewatch so quickly, that's always the sign of something that's really, really great. So um, mm. that's good. Uh, what else have I got here? Um, here we go. John Champion from Roddenberry.com. So he loved uh, Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD that I talked about last week. Um, he commented that he actually barely made it through the first Peter Cushing movie. That was the one I talked about a couple of months ago, but he thought that the sequel is a classic. Uh, so that was great. And in fact, both John and I agreed uh, chatting on Instagram that it would be uh, pretty cool if a more dedicated doctor who podcast might perhaps do a review of that movie i'd certainly listen to that if they did and speaking of doctor who podcasts um paddy aka the the peak performance king uh he gave us his three two one for ridley scott who was our director's chair choice last week so he went with kingdom of heaven the director's cut specifically in third place gladiator coming in second and then like you dan he went with alien for the number one spot i haven't seen Kingdom of Heaven for a while, let alone the director's cut. That is a yeah, that's a good movie, isn't it? Kingdom of Kingdom of Heaven, mm. and I think you know this is when we're about to talk peak performance in a moment. But this is what I love about it: peak performance brings about um, all these memories of movies, the director's cut, different versions, and it just reminds you of kind of these great things to watch. So, good shout, Petty. Uh, what else have I got? Uh, Doctor Sleep review uh, that got a, f- a fair bit of attention too, including actually from the the young actor uh, Roger D. Floyd. Uh, so he's he's the uh, the actor who played the young Danny Torrance, who he he reenacted that famous uh, tricycle scene going through the hotel corridor on that beautiful carpet. And um, we actually had both of his parents separately comment on our review and they, they started following us on social media as well, which was, was pretty cool. Um, and fun fact, uh, Roger Floyd is actually the same actor who played young Elton in last week's um, Walking Dead episode. Um, so that was the, the young kid I was talking about who you know was in the box and was hiding and then found his dad 
you know, horrible moment, but a great performance uh, in that. And also, you know, he was great as a young Ewan McGregor in Doctor Sleep as well. So that was cool. So uh, that is our mailbag. And if you would like to feature next week, then just drop us a line at halfmeasurespodcast.com or get amongst our socials at halfmeasurespod on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Awesome. So as we were just talking about, we also do this little segment called Peak Performance. Sometimes we'll talk about uh, an actor or an actress or both. Uh, more recently, we've had a little, uh, go what we're calling the, the director's chair. And so each week, Paul and I have been taking turns to pick uh, a director in this case and talk about what we think our favorite movies of theirs are. So this week, Paul, who did you pick? This week, Dan, I've gone with Tim Burton, director's chair. Amazing, amazing. So um, I'm noticing that we're we're quite deep into the, the podcast time. So I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to cut out some of the, the, the chit-chat and I'm just going to give you my, my three, two, one on Tim Burton. So obviously a fantastic director, done a whole bunch of awesome um, movies that are both quirky, colourful, uh, deep from within his mind. I've actually been to an uh, uh, exhibition in, in Melbourne once and it kind of had a whole bunch of um, his sort of models that he's made and his sketchbooks and he's got some so much sort of – he's got an wild imagination and you see that play out in so many of his movies. But my three, two, one, this was really tough and – I've deliberately made I've deliberately sort of like moved some things around for the for the sake of entertainment Paul. So, number 3 for me is going to be Batman Returns. So, this is one of my as we've talked about many times, one of my favorite of the early Batman movies. Really loved uh Penguin, really loved um Catwoman. Number 2 for me is I'm going to go with Beetlejuice, the 1988 movie. Uh, it was one of those favorite favorite childhood movies, and I think it's. I, I know that there's actually a Beetlejuice two um, mm, in production at the moment. I think it's, you know, it's got a star-studded cast. That movie, you know, we're talking Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, uh, Winona Ryder. There's so many great uh, actors and actresses in that movie. But for my director's chair peak performance, I'm actually going to go with. Edward Scissorhands. So the look on your wow. face, it's great. So, so this is a, a Johnny Depp movie where he basically plays this character with, with scissors for hands. And it was, <laughs> even saying it out loud, sounds ridiculous. But this was such a great movie when, when I was young. I remember going to the movie theatre to see it. I remember just kind of the, the notion of this kind of gothic character who kind of lived alone and trimmed these amazing like hedges and bushes and the dinosaurs and animals and he, uh, it was so good so um a, a really fun movie it's a movie i haven't seen for many many years but should i ever be invited to a party which i probably wouldn't want to attend and it was fancy dress i would definitely be considering some edwards as a hands action that's amazing paul what about you that's amazing. You, you really, you really surprised me. I, th I thought we were going on a predictable path there, and you, you threw me off course. So that was great for me. This was the easiest peak performance I've ever done. Uh, certainly, I guess we've only done a few directors, but even, even so, taking into account any of them, what I, what I've noticed, I had no idea that Tim Burton was given the keys to the Batmobile so early in his directoral career. 
And it's like the first big move. Well, okay, that's unfair. He had Beetlejuice in 1988. But beyond that, it's basically there's nothing in his CV before that that I recognize. So I feel like it was a bit of a gamble back in 89. I mean, what a great gamble, you know, to give him the keys to the Batmobile, so to speak. Uh, his style is, is is amazing. And so much of that came out in his later movies. So again, mindful of time and chit chat, my, my three, two, one, uh, my three would be Charlie and the chocolate factory. And I am very conscious that so much of that is based around the fact that I love that story as a kid. It's one of the few stories I can remember reading at a young age by myself and just as soon as I finished it, going back to the stat. I mean, could you imagine having the time to do that now, read a book and then go straight back to the first page? I just did that over and over. I love that story. And the way he brought it to life, with all respect to the uh, was it Gene, Gene Wilder, you know, that version, this was this was a very uh, how I imagined it in my head. And so uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is my number three. My number two is Batman Returns, a movie that I've probably watched the most if i put aside the star wars franchise and the star trek franchise i would say there's only one movie i've watched more than batman returns and i'll come to that in a moment <laughs> but batman returns just everything you said i loved the the dialogue the, the the interplay between penguin catwoman and i really also enjoyed max shrek christopher walken in this movie um i feel like i've seen christopher walken in this movie more than any other movie but same vein number one the batman movie probably the movie i've watched the most in fact if i'm bringing in all movies other than a new hope i probably watch this movie more than any i obsessed with this movie um i feel like we need to do a, a real deep dive into batman full stop um but just everything about the style of this i had the the prince album the music soundtrack to this movie on tape as well but putting aside jack nielsen michael Keane, and all those great things it, this movie would just not have been what it was if it wasn't for Tim Burton. He brought that whole style. He changed everything up until this point. It was just that 1966 Batman, which I love as well for what it is. But this, the style, the, the dark, just, and again, it's aged really well for 1989. I just feel like I don't know how this movie didn't win a whole bunch of awards. It's just, it's, it's the best for me. And, uh, we're an hour and a half into this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, but we're going to be here for another 30 minutes as we, Dan and I, talk about how Dan Whiting managed to do a 3-2-1 and not have Batman in that top three. I find that I, I find that worth a conversation. We won't have it now. Maybe we'll have it off air. We can, we can do it very quickly. I did this intentionally, Paul, because I, I wanted to mix it up and not have us talk about the same movies. Okay. <laughs> I, I feel like the... the, the I knew you were going to cover it, and I thought as long as I know Paul's going to cover it, it's okay that he gets some airtime. Um, and because I actually do think Tim Burton has a has a great back catalogue, and without this Batman, we wouldn't have had the the Nolan Batman. We wouldn't have had all of the the way that we see Batman now. So, and also Jack Nicholson. Oh, you right, Paul? I'm, I'm, this is a whole other conversation. We we can't talk about this now. It's too deep. It's too good. It's too good. Um. So I look forward to uh, to what peak performance you come up with uh, for this uh, this this week coming for Half Measures Podcast episode thirty eight next week. Are you going to stay with the director's chair? Are you going to bring us back to an actor? I can't wait to find out. Um, but yeah, till then, it's been great. Thanks again to uh, 
John Champion, Norman Lay, and the Roddenberry Podcast Network for bringing this episode to you today. Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers of the show, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you too would like to become a producer of the show, then you can do that at patreon.com forward slash half measures podcast. And as per always, all of the notes are down in the description below. If you've got a recommendation, something to watch, agree, disagree, get in touch. We'd love to hear it. Um, and if you're lucky, Paul will read it out in the mailbag. Until next week, adios.